Welcome to our first season of the podcast, Grow From Darkness. We are your hosts, Amanda Blackwood. And Chrysanthi Dokos from Coast to Coast. As some of our listeners know, we're both survivors of complex trauma, and it's our mission to help others experiencing similar issues. This season, we're going to be digging into trauma reactions, their long-term consequences, and how we fight back to live our best lives. Let's talk about denial. Um, so there's the, the, the basic five stages of trauma that we all go through. Uh, the first one is denial. The second one is anger. The third one is bargaining. The fourth one is depression. And the fifth one is acceptance. And that's actually why I thought denial would be a great place to start, is a lot of people who've been through terrible things still have a hard time accepting it. It's kind of the first step of getting through it and moving beyond it. Yeah, it is the first step. And for a lot of people, and I'm one of them, denial um, is one of the hardest to get through at times. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because with these uh, different stages, uh, denial, of course, being the first one, they're not like steps that you would climb to go from one floor to another in your home. These are things that are going to be bouncing around in the same room as your head for, you know, however long it takes. Sometimes you can get all the way down to the fourth step of depression and bounce all the way back to denial. And it's not a fluid thing. It's, it's definitely very static and can move around a lot. That is so true. Um, You know, a lot of the research supports what you've just said. And having my own lived experience, I can totally um, agree with everything you've just just described, Amanda. Um, Yeah, denial is is hard. And and going through those various stages of the trauma responses is... um, is challenging, especially if uh, you're going through that denial and not accepting that you've experienced some sort of really traumatic ex- um, situation that has impacted on your well-being. Right, right. It can be a scary place to be too. I mean, especially somebody who's about to have that denial breakthrough. What a scary spot to be in because you already you're starting to come to terms with it in the back of your mind. You're starting to recognize that something happened, but you're not ready yet to admit that it happened. And sometimes saying it out loud is that moment of breakthrough where you break from being in denial to being this person who's now recognizing, Hey, I have lived through something really horrible. Now, what do I do with it? Mm -hmm. I suppose it's really important to understand that it's a coping mechanism. Right. It really is. Um, So in some ways, denial is actually a very helpful thing. In other ways, it can be quite a harmful thing. So if you've managed to get to that acceptance that, yes, I have experienced something, that's when the healing can start. That's when... um, you can actually get support from, you know, professionals around you and friends um, and so forth, or, or even doing self-help stuff like journaling and meditating. But right. 
being in that first part of, of using um, denial as um, a coping mechanism when something really, really severely traumatic has happened, um, that that's the brain's way of, of self-protection because it's just too much for you to actually deal with. And, and that's why we go through that process of denial. Yeah, absolutely. And I can think of several different times in my personal life where I was in denial over certain things that happened. There was abuse that happened when I was four that I was in denial and completely forgot existed at all until I was 26 years old and sitting on a friend's couch. And that kind of denial from when I was four years old was was helpful to me because as a four-year-old child, I didn't know how to process that kind of stuff. I didn't know what to do with that. And my brain recognized that. So it threw me into this, this moment of this, this space of being in denial so that I could still function and still survive in this abusive household where this same trauma continued to happen. It's incredible how amazing the, the brain is. It's, it's, um, it, it does incredible things to protect us from our reality and help us keep going. It's, it's um, not just a coping mechanism but a survival mechanism uh, because ha- how do you deal with it at four years of age? You know, what tools do you have? You don't. You absolutely don't have those tools at four years of age. So our brains are actually very, very clever in helping us to, to, to go through that self-preservation process until... A, we're ready to deal with it, or B, we just have a complete breakdown um, at some point in our lives, and and that's when that information sort of rears its head and we can deal with it. I had, yeah. a, I had a, a similar situation. I had um, I, I didn't know that I had been um, sexually abused as a child, and I was going through therapy around another situation. And we decided to do EMDR to help me process those emotions. So, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about that a little bit later um, in terms of EMDR. But, like, while we were going through it, I actually had um, my suppressed memories coming back. And I found it shocking just at that time. So (laughs) I was already dealing with the trauma for the therapy and then this other trauma came up. And it just threw my healing process. But looking back on it, um, because it came up, I've actually been able to heal in so many other ways that I wouldn't have done had that memory not come back. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it was for me when I was four. It was uh, sexual abuse as a four-year-old child. I didn't remember that for most of my life. And there was... It, it wasn't EMDR. I did do EMDR later on, which is incredible. And it was so helpful. That was where most of my big breakthroughs came through. Mm-hmm. But when I was 26 and sitting on a friend's couch, there were certain circumstances. I don't want to go into too many details, um, but there were circumstances in place that mimicked what it was that I had seen and experienced when I was four years old. Mm. And that's what sparked it, which EMDR, that's kind of what it does. It's an association. It, like you said, we'll get into that here in a little bit, but that association of familiarity 
is what triggered the memories for me. And I was an absolute wreck. Yeah. I had no idea what was going on or why I was remembering this or if this was even a real memory. Mm-hmm. And looking back on it, I remember trying to reach out to my family. I still had a relationship with my parents at that time and trying to reach out to them and trying to talk to them about it and being called a liar because they said, you never said anything about it when you were four, so we don't believe you now. But that's not the way the brain works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and in fact, you've raised quite an interesting point, if I could just digress slightly. Um, the denial of those people around us is actually another um, traumatic experience. Yes. Yeah. I actually interviewed somebody on my other podcast uh just recently she's got an organization called the second wound her episode's going to be coming up i think the second friday in mm-hmm. march mm-hmm. um but she is just absolutely fascinating and she has spent her entire life digging into what the second wound is and exploring how damaging it is for families to then take the traumatized person and victimize them further by denying it ever happened, by making fun of them, by making up rumors and lies, by filling in the blanks, Mm. all kinds of stuff because they themselves are in denial. Mm. And I can absolutely, you know, say from experience that I do believe what destroyed my relationship with my mother and why she's so venomous towards me still Mm. is that she cannot uh, address the fact in her brain that I had something happen to me when I was four years old that she was powerless to prevent. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's heartbreaking really because it does destroy families. I, um, I recently, before my dad died, he died, he died about a year ago now. Um, in the previous years before he passed, um, I was coming to terms with a really uh, horrific sexual assault that occurred to me in my um, early, early 20s. And I needed to talk about it because I hadn't, I'd, I'd suppressed it for over 30 odd years and uh, I, was, I was trying to deal with it and come to terms with it. And I wanted to reach out to dad and talk to him about it. And I remember sitting at his kitchen table and, you know, trying to tell him. And he just stood up, turned his back to me, put his hands down as if to say no. And, and basically said, I don't want to hear this. Wow. Don't, don't talk about this to me. And that, for me... that really just emphasised to me just how disconnected he and I were, that we were never going to have that intimate um, father-daughter relationship that, you know, I desperately wanted and he was unable to give me. Um, And that replayed in my mind, that incident replayed in my mind for months and months and actually a number of years um, and totally destroyed my relationship with him um, in the end. And I struggled when he was dying to actually um, be there for him, you know, because I just, th- this specific thing, this denial 
of my horrific experience in my in my youth I struggled with myself and then to have a, a a significant person in my life to deny it like you Amanda it's just the most heartbreaking and devastating thing you can experience compounding the trauma that you've experienced through the incident itself right and they're wanting to deny it often you know from what I understand I'm not alone in this a lot of people start to uh, question themselves too did this happen you know are they right? Am I making it up? Is this some nightmare that I invented? I have mm. a very dear friend who had something very traumatic happen when she was, I think she said like 10 years old or something. And when she ran home, everybody in her family kept on, and the police and everybody kept telling her that she'd made it up and that it wasn't real. And she doubted herself mm. on this event until she was in her 40s. And finally, mm. she's like, I, I think this really happened. I don't think I'm crazy. No. But it took her 30 years to be able to come to terms with it. And she still occasionally doubts herself on it. I mean, it's it's awful. It's it's a type of gaslighting. It's an absolute type of gaslighting, yes. Yes. And as we've spoken about before, um, gaslighting in, in and of itself is um, quite a traumatic experience for people who have been victims of trauma. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I mean, you grew up with narcissistic abuse and there's a lot of gaslighting involved in that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. Is. <laughs> I mean, that's a huge part of it. The, and do, are you aware of where gaslighting gets its name from? Yeah. Isn't oh it my gosh. A 1940s it? film. Yes. Oh, it was such an incredible film that just sent shivers up and down my spine. But a lot of people don't know where the term comes from and for the um the sidekicks of the narcissist they're called what flying monkeys flying monkeys also from a very old film from the wizard of oz yeah 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 <laughs> so have you, have you seen that film um the the well, it was actually called gas gaslight Gaslight, wasn't it with ingrid bergman oh it's fantastic i watched it before narcissistic abuse was before it was something that was even really talked about i watched that movie back in i want to say the late 80s early 90s oh wow yeah i love that movie you know i'm a huge fan of that era anyway so i, I know my you tv are. was always kind of stuck on that channel <laughs> <laughs> but it's, i just think it's fascinating that we were portraying this kind of abuse before it had a terminology yeah. In cinema, and if we start going back into classic literature, a lot of this abuse is in the classic literature, too. Mm -hmm. It's been around forever. Why are we just now getting around to naming it and then naming it after the things that already portrayed it? Mm. Mm. (laughs) It it is fascinating, isn't it? I mean, um, yeah, humanity's a funny thing. thing. (laughs) I I don't know. I suppose, you know, it was suppressing it in those days as well, not wanting to accept that this was... And I, actually, I'm wondering whether a lot of it has to do with the patriarchy, you know, the whole gender stuff. It might be, but I've known so many men that have been through this kind of stuff too, being gaslighted by others, either, you know, men that they know, men that they work with, or 
men being gaslit by the women that they're married to or they're in relationships with. Yeah, yeah. But that's true, actually. That's yeah. true. I, I think it's human behavior. Yeah. I think it's human behavior. Yeah. Oh, can you hear that magpie in the background? I did hear that. I was wondering what that yeah. was. It's lovely. Yeah. It's a beautiful, it's a black and white bird that we have here in Australia and it's um, indigenous to Australia. And it's got the most beautiful, beautiful um, singing voice. And uh, symbolically, it's the messenger bird. Oh. So seeing as we're sitting here recording this podcast, sending out this message about denial, I think is quite profound. (laughs) (laughs) I think he, he came at exactly the right moment. He did. He did. Anyway, we digress. I'm really good at that. <laughs> it's um, fun. Yeah. But I, I just want to go back to the idea of how denial can actually be a really good thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, it is handy. Yeah. Yeah. Because particularly after a, a, a significant traumatic experience, our bodies and our brains need time to actually process what's taken place at that subconscious level because it's too hard for our conscious brain to be dealing with, you know, daily life as well as having had this huge traumatic experience um, and coping with that reality at the same time. So um, I think it's important that we make that distinction for people who are listening that initially denial is is, is a, not just a coping mechanism but it can actually be a really Uh, adaptive coping mechanism right absolutely it it buys you some time so that you can breathe after something really traumatic has happened um and from the research that i've looked up it can be either conscious or subconscious you might not realize that you are going through trauma denial or it might be a conscious choice to stay in trauma denial because you're not ready to deal with it. You're not ready to have this front and center in your life. You want to keep burying it and and hiding from it. But this is all, it's all a very normal part of experiencing trauma. It is. It is. Um, And it's important in the healing process that at some point, we do face it because otherwise it just sits there and sits there and sits there. And as we spoke um, in our first episode, we talked about how uh, trauma sort of actually gets into our our cells uh, in our bodies and then impacts on us, you know, through autoimmune disorders and other illnesses. So if we continue to deny something and not deal with it, we're going to be holding onto that in our bodies as well, not just our minds, um, until we do deal with it. Right. And there's so many things that can happen in the long-term consequences too. Yeah, there's, if you keep denying, even after your brain is telling you, it's okay, we can deal with this now. And you keep denying it. You can go through all kinds of stuff. You can it, it can eventually cause disassociation, which if you've heard of disassociation, uh, dissociative identity disorder, mm. um, it used to be known as multiple personality disorder. Mm. Mm. You can start to learn to cope in 
different ways. It can be really confusing. You get disconnected from yourself and from the world around you. You can take on several personalities. Um, disassociation isn't always multiple personalities, which is why that has kind of changed. Um, but it can lead to a bunch of different uh, things. Feeling detached from your body. Um, you can feel like you're de uh, detached from everything and everyone around you. You can, I've had this happen where you drive 12 miles in one direction and not remember doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, everything you've just described in terms of dissociation, except for the multiple personality thing, unless I'm not aware of it, uh, <laughs> I've experienced. <laughs> well, I'll see, um, with the multiple personalities, you wouldn't know. I know. I know there would be all sorts <laughs> of things that I don't, I'm not aware of. Um, but certainly feeling that sense of detachment from myself um, and from others, uh, you know, there was quite a long period in my life where I was really, really detached. I was, um, it was almost like I was observing myself from a height above me and looking right. down and, and watching me do things physically and interact with people, but I wasn't actually there. I wasn't present yep. in the full sense, you know. That is absolutely a dissociation. Mm. That's probably the most common way that it is described, although the, not the most common way that it is experienced. Mm. 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 It's just fascinating. It's like an out-of-body experience. Exactly. It, it really yeah. is. And I think I spent a number of years like that, particularly after that incident I told you about just before about the sexual assault. Um, I think for a number of years I was like that. Um, just, yeah. Well, it's living, living. It was existing really rather than living. Right. And it's safer for you. You know, it's it, at the time you believe that this is what needs to happen because you are at the precipice of being injured. And if you are not present in your body, that injury will not hurt you. Mm. This is what your brain is telling you because mm. it's been so long that you've been in this form of denial. Yeah. 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 You're not ready to be that person. That person is somebody else. That person is over there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's very painful to actually relive it or, or deal with it, confront it, um, because it, it sort of re-traumatises us. But in actual fact, going through that journey of confronting it, that's when the healing starts to happen. That's when we can actually be present in each moment and and actually live a, a life that is self-actualized that is um you know above just surviving and existing right. it's actually really really living and finding joy in simple moments like the magpie coming past and me noticing <laughs> that yes yeah that's a great one yeah and there's there's so many long-term consequences that people definitely don't want to have to deal with when it comes time to to come out of the denial and emotional numbness is one of them the mm -hmm. fact that you can take joy 
out of hearing your magpie and having it come and visit. Uh, this is huge. A lot of people who remain in the denial stage for a long period of time go through emotional numbness and they don't feel anything because they're mm. afraid of feeling something. Mm, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. have you ever heard of anosognosia? Not. It's. No. Um, no. I don't it think basically. I have- it basically means lack of insight. Ah. And this is another one of the long-term consequences of somebody in denial. Mm-hmm. Um, they have an impaired ability to understand or to perceive an illness. So they try to rationalize or cover up whatever symptoms they're feeling, whether this mm-hmm. is physical, mental, emotional, whatever it is. In some cases, an anosognosia can be fatal. It's yeah. really, really terrifying. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's probably the worst of the long-term consequences from uh, remaining in denial when your brain is saying, it's okay now, we, we can mm. deal with this now. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I'm glad you didn't get to that point. <laughs> emotional numbness, emotional blunting, all that stuff. Sounds like you've been through all of that. I have, I have. And, um, and it's so lovely to be able to just sit back and talk about it um and not feel the pain i'm attached to it but i'm not feeling it because i've been able to to go through that process and heal right yeah it's it's incredible being able to come out the other side of that it's fantastic it's fantastic you know i for a long time i was um I suppose I could do, could have described myself as a bit of a hermit, you know. I, home was uh, my um, safe space. and But even at home I used to sort of feel edgy and hypervigilant and um, at the same time as being emotionally blunted and numb, which is such an <laughs> yeah. irony. But that, that's, that's how trauma works. Um and now I'm, I'm just loving going out and doing things on my own. I don't know if you've noticed on my Facebook pages, you know, like I took myself out the other night. and You went surfing. Um, I know. I know. <sighs> I and was so proud of you. I went to the jazz thing. I, it's just been so much fun, you know, getting yeah. to know myself again. And um, for people who are trauma survivors, that's just one of the beauties of healing is that you get to have all these experiences that you've shut yourself off from and but truly experience them. You know, like you mentioned the surfing, what I loved about the surfing was being in the water and feeling the salt on my face and yeah. tasting it in my mouth and um, the water was so icy cold but I felt that icy cold and um, there was the, the beach was full of people, and I was just joyful that everybody was out having a fun time, you know. Yeah. Um, whereas in the past, if I'd seen all those people, I I could have been quite negative about it and maybe jealous, and you know, why aren't I here with my friends and family, and you know, why am I here on my own? But I just reveled of being on my own. It was so yeah. cool. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's sloughing off the codependency and the people pleasing and getting rid of all of these things that are brought up from trauma Mm. and reinventing yourself as well as exploring and figuring out who you are. Some of my best moments ever um, goes back to your surfing. When I lived in LA for 14 years, I learned how to surf. um, I guess was that eight years into my, my time there Mm -hmm. and going out, paddling out, I had a nine foot, six inch longboard. Um, I'd paddle out past the last wave and I wouldn't even worry about surfing back in. I would just sit there on the water in my wetsuit because the water's freezing cold Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) and just think, and I would hear the waves crashing back behind me. And every Mm -hmm. now and then I wouldn't even think I would just exist. And it was this beautiful moment of peace and tranquility and not having anybody else around me, all of my anxiety just washed away with the waves. Mm-hmm. That, that is, you're taking me back to Saturday when I was out <laughs> on the water. It was exactly like that. And um, I suppose the beauty of this podcast and, and us chatting is to show people who are experiencing trauma symptoms that it is so possible to heal from it and find joy back in our lives. And it's such a beautiful thing when we do. Mm. Mm. It sure is. I'm wondering whether on that note we, we could end today. What do you think, Amanda? You know, I think you've pretty much nailed it there. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. It's, it's just what a beautiful adventure. Yeah. So what are we doing next time? I can't remember. Well, I was thinking we might take it down to the second of the trauma uh, stages, which would be anger. Um, And just kind of uh, delving into how many different forms that can take, what Mm. that looks like. Mm. I think that's a great plan. Um, And, gee, I've got so many examples of anger that I can (laughs) share. I think so many of us do. (laughs) (laughs) And there's so many trauma responses that come from that too. And we'll, we'll touch on some of those I'm sure next week um, or next episode, but we'll probably dig into those a lot more later on too. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, we're, we're really just touching the surface um, in the first few weeks. We're just really introducing everything um for our listeners because it's such a huge topic and uh we're learning so much more uh you know almost on a daily basis with all the research that's been going on um in recent years yeah i actually just uh just a couple of days ago released my very first in the uh book series that i'm writing and this one's about the trauma reactions Um, so a lot of this is research that I've had to do just to be able to write this first book out of the the series. There's so much information now that's available everywhere on the internet. It's, it's handy, but it's also really informative to just kind of look it up and, and see where do I stand on all this? How does my life fit? Mm. 
Well, yeah, I did see that you've um, just released that. Congratulations, by the way. I'm sure a, a lot of people are going to be able to get so much out of that. So, And speaking of book releases, I think you've got some news. Oh, yes, I know. I, <laughs> I hit send on that um, enter button on my computer the other day and my manuscript has now gone to print layout. It's so exciting. Um, yeah, so that my book, Getting Out, Claim Your Life After Narcissistic Abuse, is coming out within the next couple of months and watch this space. That is awesome. I'm so excited. I can't wait to get my first copy because you know I'm going to have more than one. I want an early release and then I'm <laughs> going to get a signed copy too. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's right. <laughs> All right, my lovely. Well, great to talk with you today and I uh, look forward to talking about anger next time. Yeah, it's a strange sentence to say, but me too. <laughs> <laughs> You can find out more about Growth From Darkness through the website www.growthfromdarkness.com. You can also learn more through the Facebook page, which can be found at facebook.com forward slash growth from darkness. Thank you.